welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Brie. And with us today, we have a special guest. We are so excited. We have author Maisie Yates. Ma'am, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Let's start off with some icebreaker questions before we get into everything else we want to ask you. Sarah, do you want to do those sure. for us? If you could drop everything and go on a road trip, where would you go? I think um, I'm going to go with Victoria in Canada. And I know that I can't go there right now. But um, we were planning (laughs) on doing that last year. And I got the kids um, their passports and everything so that we could drive up there because that's a place that um, my parents have spoken of really fondly. They went there like back in the 80s. And it's really not that far away. And I always think there's no excuse for the fact that we've never driven up to Canada because it's probably, I mean, it's probably like a 12 hour drive, but still, it's like we drive that far south, you know? So I'm like, we should go up sometime. So that's probably what I would do if I, if I had my way, if I had my perfect choice. I could tell you Canada is beautiful, but I have not been out West. I have actually not been to British Columbia and I live in the country. <laughs> I, I should have at this point. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I, I mean, and I know it's not dissimilar to like Oregon, Washington. Um, sure. That where I've been. But, um, you know, I've never even actually been to Seattle. <laughs> I'm not that <laughs> Oh, my God. I've been, I've been through it. I've been in the Seattle airport and I've been around it, but like never <laughs> right in the, Where I was like, I did, a, I did an author event once in a hotel by the Seattle airport and didn't leave it. I was there for like a few hours and then went back to the airport. So I don't count it, but so oh, I'm like hopefully under traveled up North of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, I'm so jealous because like when I first started reading romance, I started with Debbie Maycomber and I'm like, I want to go to the Pacific Northwest so bad. <laughs> and I've never been It's really pretty. You should come out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you had a warning label, what would it say? Uh, I, it used to be my bio on something. It's like walks too fast, talks too loud. Um, <laughs> I feel I like drive same. My, I drive my friends crazy because I am a big like strider and I walk really, really fast. So I'm, you know, and they're always like, we don't want to be your entourage. And I'm like, the person who walks fast is, is the one who decides who the entourage is. So speed it up. <laughs> um, and I will, um, my, and my voice carries. So I'm like, you can, you can hear it for, <laughs> you heard for miles so like that's my warning I feel so seen like I've always had people say like why are you so loud I'm yeah like, I'm not trying to be loud girls <laughs> not used to really bother me I think when you're like in middle school especially and stuff and I'm like I've had this voice for a long time yeah and I'm like yeah I, I often wonder what is it like to be the to be the friend of the authoritatively voiced woman in the group because I feel like there's always yep. one or several I'm friends with many and authoritative voiced woman I'm like I know all of us sounded this way when we were 13 and it's like yeah it it makes things a little difficult like teachers respond well to that (laughs) I have a a tone um so yes I'm like people always like oh you're so loud and I'm like oh well (laughs) now I'm what it is exactly (laughs) who was your celebrity crush as a teenage girl I was thinking about this because you sent the questions out early. Because I was like, preteen, it was Matthew Lawrence. And I don't know if you guys remember the Lawrence brothers. Um, yes. Matthew Lawrence, <laughs> I watched Brotherly Love all the time on Disney Channel. And then, um, but ac- I think I was like 12. So like actual teenage crush was Orlando Bloom, Legolas, mm-hmm. and Lord of the Rings. Because I was 14, I believe, yes. when that first 
movie came out. So I was the exact right age for Orlando Orlando Bloom. I was not old enough for yes. Leo yet. There's a <laughs> there's a line that you cross over, and I was not. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, I feel like I see that differently now, but yeah. <laughs> at the time, that was that was the big old celebrity crush of my like whole teenage years because I was a huge Lord of the Rings geek. So that was my like big major thing. Nice. Um, what's your go-to coffee order? Super boring. I like an Americano with a little bit of cream and I have an espresso maker and that's what I'm drinking right now. Not what I make for myself every day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Love it. So we are always fascinated by people's romance origin stories. So how did you become a romance reader? Do you remember any of your first like favorite authors or titles? Give us all the details. Yeah, I think for me, like it's such a funny circuitous kind of route because it's like, I was always a romance reader. I just didn't know it. Uh, okay. And my mom didn't read romance, but she grew up in a house with all men. You know, she was raised by a single dad. She had um, brothers. And so she wasn't really exposed to that. My dad's mom is a big romance reader and she always has been. And um, my aunt um, who is my dad's sister-in-law is a big romance reader. And I would always see my aunt and my grandma reading romances. And my grandma has five boys. So I can see why she was like off with her romances. But I had this very strong association with old ladies and romance, which you hear a lot because the only person that I knew who read them were my aunt and my grandma. And my grandma really did have the books with Fabio on the cover. She was getting them from the used bookstore. Like she really did have those books. And I was like, that scares me. I don't want anything to do with that. Again, right? We're we're at an Orlando Bloom phase. We have not gone to the Fabio space yet. You're like, I don't understand this. It's like, it's a lot of muscles and I don't, I don't know. I want NSYNC. I don't want anyone to like me sexually yet at all. So you're like, oh, I don't know. Um, So I was always like, no, 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 no. Um, And you know, I was raised in a much more like kind of conservative Christian household. And so I read a lot of what I would say were, they weren't really like inspirational romances. It wasn't like love inspired. I didn't have any exposure to that, but like kind of trade inspirational romance-esque things. But I wouldn't say that I knew what I was reading was kind of romance because it wasn't really genre romance. And I read a lot of mysteries and um, I'm trying to even remember like how the whole thing started. Cause it's like every, whenever I would read a book, what I really wanted was for there to be a romance in it. That was yeah. always my favorite mm-hmm. part. And then I would be really upset if they didn't end up together. And it always felt like I could never guarantee that. And I was always like kind of dissatisfied. And it's like, I was looking for little bits of romance in the mysteries I was reading and in the um, inspirational fiction I was reading. And it's like, and I would read a lot of historical fiction and you just, you didn't know if they were going to end up together. And I really hated that. And then, um, I want to say, like, I remember the first romance novel I read. It was by Miranda Lee, and it was a Harlequin Presents. And I was like, it's so funny. I had read, um, there's a book called The Princess by Laurie Wick, which is an inspirational romance. And I would say that's a pretty classic romance, and it's a marriage of convenience, and it's a royal romance. And I remember being like, and, and it's an inspirational romance, so it's closed door, although there's like some implied, like, because they're married, so there's like a little, mm-hmm. you know, they're married, so it's okay. We know, we know something's yeah, happening, something's but we're yeah. not going to put it on the page. <laughs> so like, it's a scene where like he takes her into, like they have these rooms with adjoining doors and they've been married, but they haven't done anything because it's like a convenient marriage and he was a widower. See, this is like a very formative origin story because I think you can see this in a lot of my books. And then like 
at one point she opens the door to him and he like leads her into his room and they close the door. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like, woo. And I was very, I was like, I want more books like this, you know? Yeah. And so, and I stumbled across and I want to say it was at Goodwill or like our local book exchange, Harlequin presents by Miranda Lee. And I was like, completely blown away by that book. And I have, Oh no, it wasn't by Miranda Lee. I keep misquoting it. It's by Helen Bianchine. Cause I found the book. And I ordered it and um, it was called the replacement wife, I think, or the temporary wife. And I can follow up with the actual title with you guys when I have time to like look for it. And I said for years it was Miranda Lee, but it was a different Australian presents author. So that's how I got them. But I read a lot of Miranda Lee after that, but um, Helen Bianchin and it was like a marriage of convenience. And um, the hero was Italian and it was set in Australia. I think it was set in Melbourne and like, it was a contemporary but it was like billionaires and like, I was like, I've never read anything like this. And then there was sex in it. And I was like, this is what I was waiting for all of my life. (laughs) And then I'm like, I guess I'm a romance reader. I thought all this time they were these books that like that my grandma wanted to read. And then, you know, so from there I started reading every Harlequin presents that I could find um, at Goodwill at the book exchange. I don't know that I'd really found them new yet. Um, so I was mm-hmm. finding them there and they were like 10 cents. So it was like great, or they were free. Um, and then I started reading a lot of desire, temptation, um, blaze. I read a lot of that and, um, historical. And then from there kind of found that I really liked the longer <clears throat> historical. So like historical single title. And so, and that first year that I discovered romance, I read like 300 presents like it. And I wow. didn't know what they were really. Like I was like, I like the white ones. Yeah, back to back to back like while my um so I was like so I was a very young like I was like a child bride and I was a very young mom so I was like 21 and I would read them while my son was napping and like you know just like read eight of them on a Saturday like just go back back to back so I was like when I discovered it it was like everything came together and I had always been a big reader but I was like this is what I wanted out of all the books with none of the other stuff that I wasn't as interested in And so like, it was so funny because it was like my misconceptions about what romance was. And really it wasn't like a, wasn't like a disdain for them or anything. It was just a not knowing enough people who read them to even have an idea. And then it was like, I discovered them. I felt like kind of on my own where it was like, you know, I, and then I got really into them. And then it was like, this is so funny because it's like, I still, I still live next door to my parents' house to the house I grew up in. And at the time I lived like across the street. And I remember like hiding my romance novels when my parents would come over. Or anything like that. Like, but it was just like I was like, oh, I don't want my parents to like when I was an adult. Um, it's just so funny. And then like I ended up getting my mom hooked on them. Um, but it was like, yeah, I just didn't know anyone who did. And then it's like I started meeting a lot of people who then admitted it. Because what it comes down mm-hmm. to is you're like, how do how how are so many romances sold if no one reads them? Yeah, right. <laughs> and and kind of like, oh, no, a lot of people do. So um, yeah, kind of my origin story as a reader um, is awesome. that I, it's like I had to come into them by myself. And, and then it was like, oh, like I've discovered this thing. And then I found out many, many other people had discovered that thing. That was my <laughs> That is something I find so fascinating that, you know, we – we speak to you, we've spoken to other authors and it's just, there's some that like very few, but some who 
didn't really read them, but just gave it a shot. But then you, we hear you say like, okay, we know you, you write Harlequin Presents. And then to hear you say like you started reading them and you read them voraciously, it's mm-hmm. like, it just makes you wonder like, okay, so when you decided I want to write, is that like instinctively, did you subconsciously know that you were like writing what you had novel. been reading? Oh, I yeah. read yeah. it on purpose. So I can explain okay. that. Whole, um, so I had always written because I'm a, I'm a, reading has been my passion and my whole thing since I learned how to do it. Like I was the mm-hmm. kid. So when I was in first grade, we did, we did book it, which I feel like was a nineties thing, like in school. It was. Yeah. Like <laughs> things. Right. So like, we, we did this thing in first grade where not only did we get a book it certificate, we had a caterpillar and they would add a segment to the caterpillar for every book you read. And they were like up on the classroom wall. And my caterpillar like went across the classroom and around it was me and one other girl. It was like our caterpillar had like a couple hundred segments by the end of the year. And these were picture books, obviously, but it was like from the time that I learned how to read, I couldn't get enough of it. That was what I wanted to do. That's what I spent all my time doing. Like that was so much what I loved. And and then when they taught us how to write, that's what I was doing. I was writing my own stories and I was always writing whatever it was I was reading. But my thing was I never finished anything. So it's like I, when I was in sixth grade, I was writing like kind of adventure stories and like hatchet, but with a girl and she's crashed on the plane, but there's a boy there too, because there was always a little bit of a romance and that's what I was injecting in there naturally. And, um, or it was like when I was big into Lord of the Rings, I wanted to write a fantasy book, you know, so I was doing like, it's a princess, but she has to save the prince. But obviously that's not who she's going to end up with because she has to end up with someone who doesn't need to be saved. Thank you very much. She can do it. <laughs> but she's going to be with someone who's a lot more help. So like that was kind of, you know, I was doing that, you know, very naturally or like historical fiction or like, so I would have beginnings of like all these things that were in different genres. And I remember picking up a Presents and starting to read those. And I thought, and I did that thing. It's that cliche thing that everybody does. Well, I could do this because I know yeah. how it goes. I know how it ends. I know. And I thought, well, if I know how it ends, it'd be so much easier to write. Um, and spoiler alert, it's not easy to write. However, it is the first <laughs> thing that I ever finished. And so, but the way that that came about was um, I was looking online and it used to be the iHeart Presents blog. Um, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I found that they were running a contest called Instant Seduction, where you had to write one chapter and send it in to the editors. And I thought, okay, I kind of know this drill with writing because we used to have authors come visit our school, which was a really cool thing. And every single one of them said, you could wallpaper your bathroom with the amount of rejections that you get. And so I thought, what I have to do is be ready to get rejected. Because that's going to happen. That's inevitable. So if I'm ever going to write, and I always thought that I wanted to, I remember my dad would always tell me like, you know, oh, you're 14. You don't have a book published yet. Aragon was written by a 14 year old. Where's your book? You know, like kind of, (laughs) (laughs) he just always thought I could do it. Um, And so um, I had always had this thing in the back of my mind that like, I would love to be a writer, but who gets to do that? Nobody really gets to do that. Um, And so I, I kind of thought, okay, a contest is a really good way to get my first rejection. I don't think that would hurt as yeah. bad. So um, I wrote a chapter and the pacing was terrible. It was really, it was, it was honestly terrible. And I sent it to the contest. And then I thought, well, there's no point writing more of something that I don't know what's going to happen with it. So I started 
um, the book that would become his virgin acquisition. And I remember I literally started it in the mall Starbucks while my mom was like wheeling my kids around in a stroller in a circle to keep them busy. And, um, I wrote the first line of that book, which is still the first line of that book. And, um, I was more than halfway through writing that book when they announced the contest winners and I was not one. And I got like a form rejection because the mm-hmm. chapter really was terrible. Um, so I wrote the whole book and I mailed the first three chapters off to England. I found the guidelines on Harlequin's website. I knew I was writing a presents. I, um, I, you know, I very much set out to do that. And that was what the contest was for that I had initially entered was for presents and, um, so, and I thought the guidelines would be really helpful. And, and honestly, they were because they give you a structure to kind of hang that on. Um, and that was, um, that was, so that was how I got started with, with writing that. And I sent the chapters off and it was a non-requested, non-agented slush pile manuscript. So I waited seven months to hear back. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so much faster now that it's digital and I shouldn't laugh, but I see people online going, I've been waiting for six weeks. I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even so like, I'm like, this was publishing was very slow to adapt to technology and in England particularly, which is where you send your manuscripts for, um, for presents. And I'm like, we were like hard copy for a while. Like it took, um, I, so I mailed that partial in and I got a, um, I got a revision letter and I'd never heard of like a revision letter. I thought you just got rejected or accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like I can figure this out. So I um revised those first three chapters and the only person who knew that I was doing this was my husband. So he read um some of the stuff. I wasn't I didn't know any other writers. I didn't like belong to any other organization. And at some point through um kind of that whole contest experience, I did meet some other writers like in the comments on iHeart Presents and we started a little like critique group over email. And so then I, then I had some other romance readers to kind of read my stuff. And, um, after I sent in that partial that was revised, I got a request for a full manuscript. So I printed out the whole manuscript and mailed it to England. And, um, then the editor, um, emailed me because I'd put my email in the, in the cover letter. And she said, okay, well, like, let's go back and forth now over email. I have some more revisions for you. And so between all these stages were like a lot of months. And um, I did revisions. And then I did more revisions, which was basically me rewriting the last half of the book. And then she said, okay, well, you should hear from me in maybe four weeks. And I thought, great, like, you know, here in like four weeks. And I did not. Uh, August, September, October, November, September, well, five months later, after I sent that last revision in and I'm not even kidding you. Cause you know, they talk all the time online about like getting the call because I'm um, mm, yeah. to call you when you, and so I'm working with the UK office, their business hours are like, typically we, we have like some changes when our time changes don't line up, but like typically from 1am to 9am is my, is the British work day. So my time it's 1am to 9am. So I'm not even kidding you for some reason during that period of time, we were getting spam fax phone calls and the phone would ring. Like, oh gosh. And I would like fall out of the bed, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And like, and like, but it was like, and then you'd pick up the phone and be like, R-r-r-r. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so that was happening. And then um, I was literally nine months pregnant and I got up one morning because um, I was starving because I couldn't like sleep past six. I had to get up and eat. Um, and I had an email 
finally, five months after that editor told me four weeks, maybe saying, um, oh, I'd like to call you to talk about your book. And I was like, wow. Okay. And she was like, can I call you in an hour? And I was like, okay. And I was like, I don't think they call you with bad news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The contracts. I was yeah. trying to eat because I was like, I'm a pregnant woman and I need to eat. And uh, <laughs> I was like eating and like, I felt sick. And then she called me and I got offered a two book contract. And I was like, yes please. Um, and so that was like, that was my experience. I, I did not have to wallpaper, um, my house with rejections. I sold my first full manuscript, but never fear. I've been rejected many times since then because that becomes just like part of a publishing career, which is a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my, my rejections came later. You always, you can't outrun them, nor should you, because that means you're not, but like the, um, it means you're not pushing yourself hard enough, but, um, yeah, so that was my, experience it took 21 months from the time I first submitted wow. to I accepted my first contract and it was absolutely worth it <laughs> I'm like what is being rejected by Maisie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I send a pitch and they're like no <laughs> no please try again I can't even imagine <laughs> that was like no (laughs) this is a whole other like I may be like cutting into future questions but I'm like when I was trying to write I wanted to write presents but I wanted to write other things also I'll tell you I I got rejected by everyone sometimes multiple times (laughs) getting my cowboy books published was a a feat um that took work like that was a yeah I had to um because I think, you know, a lot of times people don't believe that you can do something different. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so it's like kind of, it's, yeah, it's challenging to get people to look at you differently. And like, I've been rejected by every publisher multiple times and every like editor. <laughs> and like with my first <laughs> cowboy books, we submitted to every publisher. Um, and then my agent did it again, but submitted to like, more like editorial assistance to see if like, <laughs> slide it under. like yeah no so we did it like twice and finally yeah. like um Berkeley bought my first um cowboy series and when <laughs> it took me to dinner because I sold like at it was like at like my first single title series I sold in like 2012 and I was literally like in line registering for the RWA conference when I found out that we were like going with Berkeley and like that was what was happening and all that and so I was actually where my agent was. And so we, um, we went to dinner and she was like, that is the longest it has ever taken me to sell a book. She was like, I mean, some of them don't sell, but that is the <laughs> longest it has ever taken me to sell a book. It took over a year. Um, is that the one that's hard? Cause I, we were laughing, we were on your website and you were like, you have your free, frequently asked questions yeah. and, um, you were talking about if you want this one, here's the email to yes, someone at yes, Berkeley. Yes. <laughs> We were like the sass, Maisie sass. I get emailed all the time about it, and I'm like, I wish they were in print. Keep like, 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 so let's keep asking the people that can do it. So it's, um, yeah, unfortunately, those are kind of stranded over there, and there's like two in digital and one in print, and it's like, Mm. you do, but anyway, it's, um, yeah, so that was like, yeah, so rejection's definitely a thing. And like I said, anymore, it's like, you know, I'll send a, an idea 
over and my mm-hmm. anger will be like, not that or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, it just, it's something that still happens. So it's, um, and it's just something that you learn to not take very, like they, they don't bother me anymore. It's like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, cause it, um, and like, and obviously that has to do with the fact that I'm usually getting a rejection at a more like a pitch stage rather than I've actually put, it's not like a full book that I put like a ton of blood, sweat and tears into. I'm sure I would have a different reaction to that, but it's, um, you know, now I just kind of look at it as being part of the business, but that's, you know, it's been 11 years since I signed my first publishing contract and, and you just get kind of used to the, you just learn to not take things personally or, or you don't, and you probably don't (laughs) the last 11 years. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because if, if you're getting a rejection, is it, I mean, stuff that you've, you've thrown out there, is it because maybe your, is your editor, like your editor telling you nobody wants this right now? Yeah. And then it, it kind of makes me sad because I'm like, well, what happened there? I, I feel like somebody needs to write a book of the books that didn't yeah, make it yeah. get published because it's kind of sad. <laughs> it's a variety of reasons. And I think it's like the bottom line is like, it's, it's very boring, but it's like, I've been, re- you know, I've had ideas rejected for a lot of reasons. It's like, well, right now this doesn't stand out. Like how do we, okay. or like, even as an interesting kind of um, side note into how I ended up writing Western romance with Harlequin, like I would say that I didn't necessarily think that I would keep writing Westerns. And I would say that I didn't see a major difference between a Western contemporary and a small town contemporary. For me, that was kind of all the same. I was like, well, the hero's mm-hmm. a cowboy or he's a fireman or whatever, but like, it's all small town. It's all rural, um, which is like, I live small town and everything. So I was like, that's you know, true to me. So any kind of version of that made sense to me. And I had done the three cowboy books and three novellas for Berkeley. And I knew that I wanted to kind of transition that part of my career over to Harlequin. I really liked the way that HQN um, did their single title contemporaries. And I had the opportunity to work with an editor there on a, um, this is a great story. I'm so sorry. I'm not letting you guys get to other questions. I told you I can literally, it talks too loud and talks by, too By all means, just, we're just going to let you talk. Go ahead. Okay. I, really, honestly. <laughs> We've been talking about it for a month. Like, yeah. we'll just introduce ourselves and she can talk. talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved all your questions. I read them already. They're great. But um, I, um, yeah, so I had... Because this is another great example of how things just shift and change and it's a small business and you never know how things are going to go down. Like I had sent my cowboy series to HQN and the editor who was a senior editor at the time. And like I said, this is one of those things that I don't take personally. Um, It is if you don't want to work with someone who doesn't connect with your voice, that's going to be an uphill battle. You're never going to be able to write something that makes them happy and you're going to be like, they're going to be nitpicking you and they're not going to understand the way you put a book together, the way you put a sentence together. And actually nobody wants that. You need an editor who's enthused about your writing. And so when I went to HQN for the first time with, um, which is an imprint of Harlequin. So there's the category romances and then there's like HQN, Mira, Graydon House, Park Row, and they are other types of romantic fiction or more like upmarket literary fiction kind of stuff. So they all publish kind of different things and they have different editors. And um, HQN is in the New York office. And my experience was with the UK office. So those were all the people that I knew. And, um, but I knew that I really liked the way that um, HQN published their contemporary romances. And so I wanted to be there. And um, the first time we sent something over there, the senior editor at the time basically said, 
I don't like her voice. I don't think there's a place for her here. This is not like, I don't like her writing. Like flat out didn't like my writing. And I got multiple rejections like that initially. Like I had a couple very high level editors who have bought very successful writers who were like, just hate her writing. And it's like, there's nothing you can do about that. And um, so I was like, wow, that's really disappointing. This is the senior editor of that imprint. I'm not going to be getting anywhere there. Um, And then I got asked to do, um, there there was this, uh, Lori Foster does or used to do charity anthologies every year that were part of her reader author get together. And the one of the authors that was initially going to contribute that year um, had to pull out because of a family crisis. And Jules Bennett, who writes for Harlequin Desire and um, writes some single title romance as well, um, was like, I think Macy Yates is doing Cowboys now. So I think that she and she's a really fast writer. So she might be able to like, Hail Mary pass something in. And I was like, and they were like, do you want to do this? There's no money in it at all. Would you write this for free? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds actually, it sounds really fun. Um, so I said, yes. Um, I wrote this novella in literally five days and sent it in. And the editor who was working on that anthology, um, really, really loved it. And she, like during the course of like our working together on this anthology, um, the senior editor at HQN left and went somewhere else. And the editor that we were working with on the anthology was promoted to the senior editor of the imprint. And she was like, I would really like to work with you again. This, this is really great. Um, and she was like, I think it could final in the Rita, which it did. And, um, she, uh, she was like, I really love it. And so, um, that was how I got like in where I was like, okay, I'm targeting something to her because she wants to work with me again. So I wrote a contemporary um, like small town romance pitch with um, I wanted like a police officer and a firefighter. And like, I was like men in uniform kind of a thing. Like, that'll be fun. And she was like, I I mean, I like your writing, but she was like, there's too, we have too much small town romance. Mm -hmm. She was like, there's not, she said, however, we don't have any like new upcoming Western writers. And that's so funny I think because cowboys have become a thing since then, but I was actually writing them. This is where I'm like hipster Oregonian. I'm like, I was writing cowboys before they were mainstream. (laughs) Uh, I was like, this was like right before the kind of like I eked in a little bit early, which this is where like so much of publishing is about luck. Right. Because it's like, I wouldn't say that I had any great insight into the fact that that was going to then be a big thing in the print um, romance market. Um, and it always is in the sense that like, you've got Linda Lyle Miller and Diana Palmer and Carolyn Brown, who are always out there writing Western romances, Jody Thomas, and like, who are always out there killing it on the list. And like, you know, every time they have a book out, they're selling like 30,000 copies in the first week. I mean, they're incredible. And they're like, you know, um, 10 poles of the genre. Um, so they're always there, but it's like, there had not been any newer Western writers for a while. And that was kind of where Harlequin was at. They were like, we have, like, we don't have up and coming Western authors. So Mm -hmm. if you would do a cowboy pitch and I was like, sure. (laughs) So I (laughs) the pitch I wrote and I made the hero a cowboy. And that was where part-time cowboy came to be because I didn't want to quite let go of the, um, of the sheriff thing that I had in mind. So that was where he became, he was sheriff and he was a cowboy. And um, so that (laughs) became the Copper Ridge series. And so it's like, yeah, you get rejections sometimes, but I just look at them as new opportunities where it's like, well now, okay. I'm like, it doesn't, 
I can still tell the stories that I want to tell. It doesn't matter if he's a cowboy or he's a businessman. It's like the emotional themes can stay the same. So it's like, I want to find the avenue where I can reach the most readers. And if the publisher is kind of going to go, well, this we could throw our weight behind, then I'm like, great, I'll do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I kind of look at it. Um, yeah, I just, I try to look at it as opportunities. And I've had these great experiences in publishing that came from not having any idea where something was going to lead, like saying yes to a charity anthology that, you know, yeah, I hear people say it's all about the bottom line. And I'm like, absolutely opposed to that idea because I'm like, you don't know. It's all about seizing opportunity when you can and when it presents itself and seeing where, like where the open door leads and sometimes nowhere. And you go, well, like I wrote one biker book. There's a reason I wrote one biker book and no more. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, you try things, right. And you kind yeah. of, go, well, where, where's that going to go? Maybe nowhere, but like, it's a, if nothing else, you know, you've expanded yourself creatively and you've tried something new. And so to me, it's like, um, yeah, it's just like you kind of take the opportunity wherever it presents itself. And that's, you know, why I write Westerns. And now I can't really imagine not doing it. I, I found that I really love it. And it's something that I, yeah, I just love writing. I love writing cowboys. And it's it's funny to me when I look back and think that I almost didn't or didn't see it as something that I would kind of continue to do. Yeah. That's one thing that I, I feel about you is like, you seem to be an author that's going to try. If you have an idea yep. and you're like, I've never done this before, but I really want to do it. You seem like you're going to do it. Yeah. And then it's like, but you know what you also really love to write. So yeah, I'll try this thing because I had a really great idea, but like, I also really love to write these mm -hmm. and I'm going to come back to these. Yes. And yeah, well, I, I, love have, that. I have not successfully uh, given up anything that I started with and I don't want to, like, I kind of, and that's where I joke. I'm like, well, sometimes I think like maybe I'll like slow down and like quit writing so many books, but it's always like, there's always something that comes up that I want to do. Um, and, and I love presents. That's like my first love. And so I can't imagine not doing it. Um, and I love the variety. It keeps everything kind of fresh for me. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, yeah, for me, it's all about kind of what sparks creativity and enthusiasm and, um, and right now it's like all these things that I'm doing. So <laughs> I hauled a book like a month ago and it was, I bought it thinking it was a heartwarming. And then I messaged Sarah and I'm like, it says it's a Harlequin Western. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and so we like eventually learned that like people have been wanting, I guess, like a Western many I don't know if it's a series or what so I'm like okay obviously there's a market for this like yeah. we're not the only people out here that love cowboys yeah and <laughs> what do you think it is I mean because like the billionaire thing right. is great and like people love the billionaires mm -hmm. and the but what is it that you think people enjoy about the cowboy romances that like you know keeps them keeps them around I actually think it's the same thing people love about billionaire romance, um, being someone who writes both, because I think it is all about the kind of taming of the man who is a law unto himself. And I think it is expressed in a very different way. So it's all about like the setting in which you see it. So for me, it's like a cow. Now my presents heroes 
do not have to follow the same set of rules because they're not bound by reality. Whereas my cowboy heroes are set in a more real world setting. And so they, they can't be like kidnapping someone and carrying her off because like there will be like a posse out looking for her. So that's not going to work. Um, there'll be some vigilante justice occurring. Um, and so it's like, they have slightly different rules. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is as a reader, like what resonates with you about the setting and kind of the way that these things are expressed. But I'm like, the billionaire hero is independent and self-sufficient. He makes things happen. Um, he is, um, he can, money can buy him anything, but it cannot buy him her. He cannot make her love him. She has to choose that. And there's the one thing that he cannot bend to his will. And that is why, in my opinion, I reject the notion that, um, that those books have a heroine at a disadvantage because absolutely not. She is at the highest of advantages because if she walks away, she'll be okay. The relationship mm-hmm. has strengthened her. However, he will be destroyed because he's discovered that all of his power means nothing because he cannot. Because he couldn't get the girl. And yeah. I actually think yeah. it is so similar to the cowboy romance. He owns land, so he's independent in that sense. It may not be financial independence in the same way, but it's like he owns land. If stuff went down, you could barricade on the land and you could like be you could like hunt your own food and whatever. So you're like you're self-sufficient. So you've got a man who's not he's not bound to a nine to five, basically. Mm-hmm. He's got this certain measure of freedom. He's kind of a man who knows what he's about. He's a little bit outside of society in the same way I think that a billionaire hero or a royal hero is outside society. They're a little bit of a relic. You kind of expect them to be that way. But like, you know, uh, sometimes a bad boy, but a good man. And like kind Mm -hmm. of you expect these certain um, kinds of um, chivalry, I guess, and all this kind of stuff. And um, so I think it's kind of that. um, And then I think also they're larger than life characters. They're not people that you run into all the time, not in the way that they're depicted in romance. Um, Mm. Because first and foremost, they're romance heroes. So they're not going to have any of the negative characteristics that a billionaire or a cowboy may have in real life. And they've got um, like a Navy SEAL, you know? So it's like, I think it's that larger than life factor. And then what I love about romance is we get to choose what form that takes depending on our mood. Um, Mm. You know, billionaire, cowboy, vampire, it's all good. So, um, <laughs> I, like, for me, that's the appeal, you know, and then I love that you can take it and kind of move it into a small town setting. Whereas in a presents, I'm kind of exploring that in a different, in a different setting. So that's what I think other people may disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to talk Gold Valley. Can yes. we talk Gold yeah. Valley? <laughs> so, okay. With Gold Valley Vineyards, we have that and then Copper Ridge also has spinoff titles that are under Harlequin Desire. So what inspired the choice of having these spinoff series be published under the Desire series? Like, how did that work out? I, I'm like, <laughs> what line does it Maisie Yates write for? I, yeah. <laughs> a really boring answer because it's the truth. And I feel like all every time you give an honest answer, it's like, it's really not all that romantic. I initially wanted them to be Blazes. Because, and it came out of the fact, and I think if you go and read the first two, which are Take Me Cowboy and Hold Me Cowboy, yes, you can actually see that Take Me Cowboy especially was written as a blaze. It, it just mm-hmm. was. And um, the reason that I came up with that idea was I was doing novellas. And novellas are not my favorite thing to do, but they are a very valuable. And again, I'm just being very honest. I'm like, my publisher, I appreciate it if I wasn't so honest. They're a promotional tool. <laughs> They are yeah. like I'm, I'm a sucker for a novella. Right? <laughs> well, and I like them, but I had reached a point where I thought I've written all the easy novellas I have in me. 
because yeah. um, they used to be so easy for me to write. Now I'm struggling to figure out how to how, like how to tell another story in this short length of word count. And um, so I, but they make great added value to put in the back of the book, um, mm-hmm. and the stores really like them. And so, um, you know, anytime Walmart is like, well, we would really like it if there was a bonus book in the back of this book. I'm like, okay, um, because I'm biddable that way. And um, so I was doing that and I said to my editor, I was like, but if I'm going to be writing shorter books, um, you know, maybe we should explore doing it in a category space because I really love writing the presents. Um, I had always wanted to do another category and I, I did a couple Cosmo Red Hots um, and then that series wasn't very long lived. And I had um, submitted some things to, honestly, I had considered submitting to Desire um, before I submitted, like at the same time I was submitting to Presents because it was another line I read a lot of. And um, so I read Desire, um, but I also read Blaze. And so when we were talking, I was like, um, Harlequin, I was like, well, we could do ones under like Harlequin American, which then became Harlequin Western for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, you're, uh, you're way too spicy <laughs> for the, uh, I was like, okay. So I said, what about blaze blaze has cowboys. And they were like, sure, that'd be a great idea. Um, and so over the course of me writing the book blaze closed, and they were like, okay, so we're going to move it to desire. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's not a desire <laughs> and I'm not changing it. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, that's okay. Like we'll, uh, we'll work it out. So it kind of became this thing where I was like, you know, is there a way for me to write a shorter book, but we can get them out in print quicker because people don't like waiting for them to come out in print because my readers really love print books primarily. And so it kind of came out of all of that. And then now I've been roped back into doing all of it. So I'm like, now I'm doing the desires and I'm doing novellas again, because that's how all this ends up working. But it's, it's been awesome. Now it's like, it's funny that that's the origin because it's become um, a really fun and successful part of the series and readers really like it and they really um, have fun with it. And I love category romance. So it's just another chance to kind of be in that world. And that's my origin as a reader. So I love being able to be part of Desire. It's so great. Um, and it was kind of a, like many things, a funny, circuitous route there. But now it's yeah. something I can't imagine not doing. And I have a new I have a new series coming out with Desire. I think it'll be 2022. I just finished mm-hmm. the first book. And it's not, it's it's sort of a spinoff of a Gold Valley book because it's this heroine who shows up's brothers, but it's its own whole new town. So they're going to be the okay. Lone Rock um, books, so the Carsons of Lone Rock. And so they're kind of out in Eastern Oregon and it's way more rugged and way more Wild Westy. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, the first one is basically overboard, but um, the hero has amnesia and the heroine is his enemy and she takes him back and tells oh him that he's a ranch hand. Oh, um, and I'm I like, can't wait. It was just really fun. And I was telling my editor, I was like, she might seem a little, uh, I'm like, I don't know if she seems mean. She was like, it's fun, just do it. And that's kind of how I approach it. I'm like, if it's fun, we're going to do it. We're going to explore it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen, uh, I wish Blaze would have stuck around long enough to give you some, some more books. Cause that was my favorite line. That was my absolute favorite. Yeah. Um, I, well, and that's the thing I do enjoy writing the high heat books. That's why I did. I mean, 
the biker series came very organically out of an experience that myself and the other writers had in New Orleans. Um, and mm-hmm. so if anybody's welcome to look those up. I think <laughs> I don't remember what mine is called, but I know the first one's called Make You Burn and it's by Megan Crane. Um, and uh, so people can look that up. I don't remember what mine's called. Um, and <laughs> that's how it is when you've written more than a hundred books. Um, and so that kind of came out of that, but I'm like, I do enjoy, and then I did the Cosmo Red Hots and I'm like, I do enjoy writing that. And I, I have to tone it down a little bit to do the, yeah. um, the small town books. Although I have to say, I think my desires are pretty, pretty spicy. They go there. They go there. So, <laughs> they go there. <laughs> it kind of did like start as I meant to go on. It kind of did establish a tone. So that's definitely, um, you know, yeah, for it, sure. But anyway, I do enjoy that. So I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I always like a little chance to do that. Why not? Um, so you have a lot of books coming out this year. Um, are you often writing more than one at a time or like, how does that all work? I cannot do that. I try and inevitably I start clicking with one and I completely abandon the other one that I'm, it'll, it'll last for like two days. I'm like, if I could just write a thousand words on this one while I'm writing 3000 words on this one, then I could get never works, never happens, will never happen. I cannot do it. I am an obsessive person. So I'm all in on whatever I'm doing all the time. And so like, I'm a really fast drafter. And so then it's like, so what I'll do is like write the book And I don't like to take, I mean, sometimes I'll take weekends off while I'm doing that, but like while I'm writing the book, I do like to stay in touch with the book. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm very, very all in on the book, but I'm very, um, I don't want to say I'm very organized because I feel like I'm a little bit too slapdash for that, but it's like, like a little bit too boom and bust for that. But it's, um, but I'm also accustomed to how I work. So it doesn't concern me. Uh, occasionally I'll get stressed out about something and I'm like, but the book always gets done. So just don't worry about it. But I do like, um, budget my words. So I know how many I have to write every day, um, to meet my deadline, whether it's real or arbitrary. I'm a big one for setting arbitrary deadlines because what happens is, um, even though all my books right now are at Harlequin because they're for different imprints, sometimes the deadlines, um, end up being like at the same time. Okay. So I just plan ahead for that where it's like, well, if this has to be in by April 15th and so does this one, then one of them actually needs to go in March 15th. Um, and that's fine. I can like, so I am always like looking way ahead. So I have a pretty solid big picture view of what I'm doing, but also the fun thing about working ahead of deadline, which I almost always am, is that if something's not grabbing me, I can do the presents instead of the desire. And Mm -hmm. I can kind of, you know, switch it around or whatever's grabbing me, which I'm doing right now. I was going to be writing another, um, single title cowboy book for HQN, which is actually a new series. Um, but I'm really far ahead on it, like a year ahead. (laughs) So, um, I was going to do it. And then I was like, you know, I'm not feeling it. I've got a bunch of stuff going on right now. And I'm just going to do a presents because that's my like comfort zone. Like presents Mm -hmm. is like my writer candy. Like I'm like, all right, it's not because they're not like big series connected to anything. And I don't have all these details to remember. I can just like new set of characters, new world, new rules and like go and like, you don't have to hold anything back. It's like an emotional mm-hmm. opera and I love it. So it's like my playground. And so I'm like, I'm going to do a presents because that's my gift to me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I like being able to do that. I like having the freedom to kind of shuffle things around. So I think it sounds like kind of, it's, it's an organized chaos. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in that, like, I, you know, if I change things, I make sure that I know, you know, where it's going to go and like where, okay. but you know, I like to, but I'm like, that's kind of me in general. I'm like, I like to pretend that I'm spontaneous while um, containing things in a schedule. So when you decide, okay, I'm going to do a present because, okay, you are Maisie fucking Yates. Okay. We have tons of series. We have tons of spinoffs from series. We have series like Copper Ridge. You put on your frequently asked question. Like, I don't think I'm done with that. I could probably return to that small town. So when you make that, (laughs) when you make that decision of like, I'm going to do a presents, I want to do a presents. Where is that story coming from? Because you have so many other towns and families and things that you're I'm like, does she live with these characters in her head? Where does a new story come from? Um, Presents, I think, is really fun because it's often, um, so the one that I'm going to write upcoming, it's like I just had a scene in my head of like, okay, um, yeah, I just had an opening scene in my head. And I I mean, it. I know when it's a presents. I mean, they're, they're so different. And I think writing things that are very different um, – is it makes it easy in a way to kind of compartmentalize them. And so I think like the most notable like presents, I've written presents on dares multiple times, like where people are like, well, can you take this and make it a presents? And I'm like, no, I can't. You know, <laughs> that is so cool. Um, my, Challenge accepted. You know, my second present, somebody was like, all your heroines are virgins. Like, I bet you couldn't write a pregnant virgin. And I was like, oh, I bet I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, the, i Gosh, I'm gonna have to look up the title of it. I'm the worst. I don't know the titles of my own books. I can see the cover in my head. Um, but I have one. Luca is the hero, and um, he's a prince, and he's terrible. But um, and I love him. But, um, <laughs> literally, Nicole Helm, um, who writes for Harlequin Intrigue, um, she was like, we were talking about our kids being super into Sophia the First and how it's the worst. <laughs> Disney show. Oh and okay, it's called His Forbidden Pregnant Princess is the name of the book. And she was like, oh, she was like, it's just so weird. And like, there's all this sexual tension with the stepbrother. Write me that presents. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so literally, His Forbidden Princess, which is literally Luca and Sophia. Um, is oh, we have a Sophia the First fanfic. Fan yeah. <laughs> the First fanfic. Uh, where um, you know she married into the family, and I'm like, because can you imagine the royal scandal if they were as like step siblings? Oh my! So anyway, that was my. Um... So yeah, no, I'm like, so for me, it's like, is it like? But I've gotten to the space where I write so many books that I'm like, it has to be fun. Mm-hmm. Presents are a particular yeah. kind of fun, and I love the kind of the angst and the kind of over the top nature of it, and the very deep emotion that you can get into and then um, with the desires it's like a whole other kind of fun um I love the fact that there's a little bit of a soap opera directive with the desires so I'm like okay which I may have taken a little too far but nobody's really that mad at me I'm like I don't know where they thought they were half siblings recently well she thought they might be they weren't But um, I was like, it's a romance. I had people writing me and they were like, they better not be related. I was like, it's a romance. They're not related. God, yeah. <laughs> they weren't. Like, he was like, uh, no. Um, and she was like, but maybe. And he was like, no. And um, so, yeah, I'm like, I just love, I love taking kind of outrageous concepts, which I feel like is the strength of category romance. You can take an outrageous mm-hmm. concept 
and, and make a romance out of it. And it's fun, but like the emotion is real and the emotion is kind of what keeps you kind of grounded, I think in the story. But I just love, um, to the best of my ability, I'm like, I want that concept to be fun and uh, something that I'm excited about doing. And so, um, a lot of times that's where it starts is like, um, Megan Crane, who writes as Caitlin Cruz and I live in the same town. And we have often said that if we are talking about a presents and we're not like gesturing wildly and laughing and like, <laughs> then, and then he like bursts into the palace and he reclaims his throne and his child. And he says, I think Kara that you will find I'm not a patient man. Like if we have <laughs> when we're talking about the book, then it's not there yet. Like it's not yeah. big enough yet. And it's not exciting enough yet. And it's like, we have to be excited about it because if we're not excited about it. Why should you guys be excited about it? So mm-hmm. it's like, um, but yeah, I'm just, I guess I just, uh, I'm like, I don't know where I get my ideas from. I guess I just kind of bring my enthusiasm and hope. That, <laughs> hope that, well, and then I'm like, with Presents, you're always like, yeah, I'm so pumped up to write it. Sophia, the first fanfic, it's crazy. It's going to be <laughs> so out there and so fun. And then you sit down and make it a book and you're like, oh, oh well, <laughs> this was a lot of fun when it was just me talking about it. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it gets done somehow. <laughs> so does uh are you like set by what you have to read like does does harlequin contact you and say we want two percent novels this year we want another gold valley this year or do you have the freedom to say to them this is what i want to do or is it a bit of both it's a bit of both because i would say that like the present schedule is a lot more flexible and all of these things again it's all like it's very boring stuff where like we are um so um I always say like we have to sell a book multiple times because like you have to sell a book to the publisher, but then they have to sell it to sales who has to be interested in selling it to the store. And honestly, that is the biggest hurdle that you have is like, will the store carry your book? There's so many books. And um, especially right now, Walmart is only shelving mass market once a month. So everybody had to change their release dates. And Mm. like with the, now the, the presents are going to come out every month. And it doesn't matter whether it's me or um, Jackie Ashenden, they're going to carry the book because it's presents. Um, But the scheduling of the single title romances is a lot more based on how much of a pickup can we get from Target, from Walmart, from Barnes and Noble? Like how is that going to go? Because it's not just set in stone the way that it is in category. So we have a lot more freedom to just throw things in to category. I love that you mentioned that because I messaged Sarah the other day. I was pissed. I had finished confessions uh, yeah. from the quilting circle and I wanted to get a physical copy. I had it on audio and in ebook and none of my Barnes and Nobles had a, yeah. a copy of it in, in the city. Yeah. We have at least five. And I'm like, you mean none of y'all have yeah. this book? And I'll tell you like really, really honestly, like I had a really low pickup from Barnes and Noble on that book. Like, and I know that, you know, and it's like, it's nothing that, um, that's up to the stores, you know, they make that decision. And so I'm in a very fortunate position that when I put a cowboy book out, I get a great pickup from the different stores, um, down to grocery. They're very, very easy to find. Oh yeah. And so now um, the new, um, the, the, what's the, um, the cowboy, cowboy. it was fantastic I got that from my grocery <laughs> yeah. store. I got that one from the grocery store, but then I'll go to Walmart and they still have a cowboy for all seasons. And I'm like, look, there's a whole other book. Let's yeah. have them side yeah. by and side. Yeah. The release date situation is hoping to get a handle on that. Because it's like, that's the one thing that like, we don't have control over that. The publisher doesn't have control over that. 
whether or not the stores are shelving the merchandise. And actually that's independent contractors that come and shelve the merchandise. And this is all very boring, like brass tack stuff, but it's like, these are the kinds of considerations that we have to make when we're, um, when we're writing and when we're scheduling. And so, um, a lot of the things that we do, it's like, and if they don't make sense, that's probably why you're probably doing something to make a retailer, um, happy. And so, um, you, so it's great because with the, with the series romance, like I said, it's like, well, all of presents is going to be in the store yeah, um, yeah. at stores that they're in. So it doesn't matter if it's me or somebody else that writes presents. So if there's an open spot, they can just kind of throw my presents in. So I do tend to write those very much as I have a moment, mm-hmm. um, and kind of fling them into the publisher. Um, whereas like we have the, the, the cowboy books are scheduled um, very, very far out. Um, same mm-hmm. with the trade paperbacks. They're scheduled really far out because, and stuff will still move because you just never know, like something will come up. But I know that I'm going to do three of the cowboy books. Um, and I think I was doing four, but then we started adding these anthologies. And so that's now my kind of fourth um, and that is continuing on. So we're, um, yeah, we're, uh, we've written the third one of that. And um really, really excited. I love working with those ladies. They're fantastic writers. And um, so that's been kind of a funny, unexpected thing that we ended up doing. And um, yeah, so all that stuff is um, a little bit more like set in stone, I would say. Mm -hmm. But um, as as to like what the books are going to be, like they're going to be a cowboy book, but Harlequin lets me do what I want. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, it's, um, and when we kind of came to, um, these gold Valley books that are coming out this year, I had kind of talked to my, it was a new contract and I had talked to my editor about, well, like, what are we going to do? Because we've got like 20 gold Valley books now. And so should we go back to Copper Ridge? Should we do something else? Like what should we do? And they were really like, you know, like we kind of like all these options, but it's up to you. And so I ended up deciding to do a new series because I had a really fun idea and it crosses over with Copper Ridge. So it's really fun because it's like, I'm like, it's all this one cowboy world. So you still see all the people that you kind of um, knew and have gotten to know. And so the Four Corners series will come out in um, Four Corners Ranch and that'll come out in 2022. And one of the books, and I'm getting to do the next generation finally of, um, a Copper Ridge. Um, so in Down Home Cowboy, I'm looking at my wall with my poster on it because I had to remember the name of the book. Um, <laughs> the hero is a single dad and he had a teenage daughter. And mm-hmm. um, so in the Christmas book that's coming out in 2022 for um, the Four Corners series, I am going, he is meeting this girl from um, Copper Ridge who was the daughter of one of my heroes in um Ooh, in, in down home cowboy and um they are so the first family in the four corner series are the garretts and they're cousins to my first copper ridge mm-hmm. family and so because people love them so much and i get so many emails being like what's happening with jack and kate and i'm always like i don't have an opportunity to show them and so yeah. bringing in like mm-hmm. their cousins i had an opportunity to kind of it's a new setting but also we get to go back to a familiar one and get to have some yeah. family get togethers and so so that was really fun. And it's, um, it's so much like, I'm really lucky because I really have just so much freedom to kind of, to have fun with it. And my editor mm-hmm. is so all about that. Like, she's like, do what's fun for you. Like do what excites you the most right now. 
And, Mm -hmm. and so that's what I do. And I hope that that comes across because I really do just have so much love and enthusiasm for, for writing. And I really love romance and I really love, you know, I really love the books. And so I just hope that that comes across and, um, and that it keeps coming across. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to your editor, right? (laughs) I love her. She's absolutely amazing. That is awesome. So can you share with us how the cowboy anthology came to be? Like, was it a girl's night? And it's like, hey, we should do a, a thing. And here it is. It or is how did such it happen? a funny story. So I was I literally like these girls are my, um, these ladies are my dearest friends. And not even just in the, like, you know, you're like, oh, I have writer friends. and But it's like. I met them through writing, but they've become just some of my closest friends. Jackie Ashen and I were critique partners before we sold. Um, I met Megan, Caitlin, um, at my first conference. I met um, Nicole Helm online, but met her in person for the first time at RWA in Atlanta, which I think was 2014, and just clicked with her so immediately as a person. And like, we... um, we, so we talk all the time and text all the time. We have a little group text and, you know, we, um, I, but I was texting with Nicole and we were joking about like pitching new series and whatever else. And I was totally kidding. And I said, we were talking about ghost goats and I don't even know that obviously had no help. <laughs> I said, it's the sisterhood of the traveling pants, but the farmhouse is the pants. Okay. So it's everyone's needs. And I was totally kidding. And I went to bed and like, you know, kind of didn't think about that. And then the next day I was driving, I had dropped my son off at school and I was literally driving across the railroad tracks. And I was like, you know what though? That's not a terrible idea. Yeah. (laughs) And I texted Megan first and I said, Megan, would you want to write, would you want to pitch a a cowboy anthology with me and Nicole? And I want to ask Nicole and Jackie also to be in it. And um, she was like, well, sure. And I was like, I just said, even if we self-publish it, it would be really cool. It would be really fun. Like, and every girl has to stay in the farmhouse, you know, for a season and blah, blah, blah. And so then I texted Nicole and she was like, yeah, I mean, sure. And, and, and Jackie, we were like, well, Jackie Ashenden, of course, didn't write Small Town. And so we were like, how we'll get Jackie on, but we'll just railroad Jackie into it. And she's in New Zealand, right? So by the time Jackie wakes up, we've all been talking about it for hours. And this is the story yeah. of her life. She wakes up and we have like a new book deal for another anthology. It's like, great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we like, assigned you a character. Don't worry. She's always like, and so, you know, she gets up and we we're like, Jackie, you're writing this with us. And she was like, okay. Um, I just, I thought, I don't know that, I don't know that anyone will want to do it. I don't know, you know, cause they're connected stories and you see anthologies a lot, but not ones with really connected stories. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if Harlequin will be interested in this. I don't know if anyone will. Um, and we ended up sending it, um, to a couple different places and we ended up having an auction for it. And that was just crazy. Like we, we didn't expect that. And it, the response to it was so great. And Harlequin really was like, no, we want it. So, um, that was great. We were like, fantastic. That was really who we wanted to put it with anyway. And, um, then before the first one even came out, we pitched the second one and they were like, yeah, sounds good. And then, um, we, uh, and then we pitched a third one. And so we've got that coming too, but that, um, that so came out of just, 
yeah, being friends and like the fact that we do know each other's writing so well. Like I'm mm-hmm. such a huge fan of all of theirs and I read everything that they write before it comes out. I'm so spoiled. And um, I- I was shocked. I was like, Jackie's one of my favorite dare authors. Yeah. Her writing a cowboy story. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, well, you know, well, you know, kind of railroad her into it, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's I think, and I didn't ask her opinion, so it doesn't matter, but like, she's, she's one of my dearest friends. So it's like, um, it's, uh, she's kind of used to me by now. She's been friends with me for 11 years. So <laughs> she's just like, okay, maybe yeah, whatever, whatever. Tell me, tell me when to start. Yeah. <laughs> so we recently read Confessions from the Quilting Circle, which is fantastic. Thank you. Um, we see a lot of romance authors that are writing these stories that blur the lines between romance and women's fiction. And we, we have this conversation because Sarah and I, we have a book club with one of our best friends and she, her bread and butter is women's fiction. So we'll read a book together and Sarah and I are like the romance. And she's like, well, to me, it felt more women's fictiony. And Sarah's like, when we talk to Maisie Yates, we're going to ask her, yeah. what does she consider this book? Yes. Um, I consider this women's fiction. Um, the reason that I do is that rather than having a shared like male, female point of view with the focus very tightly on the romance, the focus is more on the changes occurring in the family and the romances affect those changes and create changes in the women. But it is, I spend more time examining the relationships in the family as well. It's more of a whole, um, a whole picture of multiple relationships, I guess, or I, I consider it like a broader camera lens. Cause I think people sometimes say, Oh, it's more than romance. And it sounds very reductive. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's always meant that way. I think it just means there's more happening. And mm-hmm. actually as a romance reader, I like it to be just romance. That's what, that's why yeah. I'm a category reader, to be honest with yeah. you. That like, especially early on in my romance reading, I was like, well, there's all this other stuff. I don't care about her. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's like, like, where's the the like where, where's the dude? I'm here for him. So like yeah. for me, so that's how I write romance. It is. Cause I'm yeah. like, well, it's all about this. Like, because that's what I like. Um, mm-hmm. and so for me, it's like, it, it, for me, it is kind of a different genre though, because my roots are in romance, because my readers are romance. I do feel very strongly that I want romance in it mm-hmm. and, and that if I introduce a romance and it could be like, I'm not going to give a sad ending. Like I think in the mm-hmm. first one I have, you know, like I have heroines in the books who don't end up with someone, but it's not really teased either because it's like, if that is going to be there, I'm not going to like break somebody up because that I, you know, I want to be writing something that's accessible to the people that, are really the foundation of my career. Like yeah. they're like, I'm not here to bait and switch romance readers. That's not my thing. And I wouldn't like it anyway. I'm a romance reader. So that's just like, mm-hmm. you know, but it's an opportunity more to explore the family dynamic, which I love to do in my romances, but um, in the quilting circle and also in secrets from a happy marriage, um, the points of view are all the women in the family. So it's about um, four different women rather than being about a couple. So I think that to me okay. is the primary difference is just the focus. Cause I would say that like, yeah, it's not the only, the sole focus of the, of the novel isn't the romance and the romance arc. 
Um, but I do think it's a blurry, I mean, it's a blurry line for sure. Cause I would say <laughs> that like, I would hope that it would satisfy a romance reader because like I said, as a romance reader, that's what I want. But because I'm a history nerd, um, who spent a lot of time doing living history and I like old houses and I like, um, I live adjacent to a historic town and I love history. Um, I wanted to be, I wanted to write something that incorporated a little more of those things and that, um, yeah. and confessions of the quilting from the quilting circle specifically borrows from some of my personal family history. So it was something I always, always wanted to write, especially as we have that generation from world war II um, kind of passing on where we're losing our world mm-hmm. war II veterans. So, um, mm-hmm. I thought the ages that everyone is was just right to tell that story and that it needed to, to happen. And while I was, um, I wrote it last year and it was, I was finishing it up, um, right around the time my grandfather died and he was a world war two veteran. And it was like, it very much underscored that, um, kind of need to have that be written now. And, um, so that was a really important one for me because, um, since you've read the book, you know, um, there was a, the, the grandmother was, um, uh, or lost her, um, her love in, um, yeah. in world war two. And my grandmother lost her first husband, um, in the battle of Normandy, um, on or, around D day. And, mm-hmm. um, she was pregnant with, um, my uncle. And so she was widowed when she was 17 and, um, he never met his son. And, um, we have a great story. Um, this isn't in the book, but I just think it's a great story. My, um, my uncle was uh, reunited with his dad's Purple Heart in 2017. It had gone missing, and there was an organization that finds and reunites people with Purple Hearts, and they found his and gave it back to him. And that's like one of the things that he has from his dad. And so it's like it's a funny thing to have that because I'm not related to him, to the one who died. My grandma remarried, mm-hmm. and that was my mom's dad. Um, yeah. But it, he feels so part of our family still because my uncle is because that was someone my grandmother loved. That was her first love. And mm-hmm. I think her greatest love, like I don't think she ever got over him. And mm-hmm. I think, um, so it was really um, special to me to get to write that in a book. And I think, and like I said, I look at everything as opportunities. So it's like doing the one women's fiction a year. I have the opportunity to tell slightly different stories and use slightly different parts of myself because all of my books have pieces of myself in them. That's unavoidable. Um, So I think it is like that opportunity to like tell a slightly different story or tell it a different way. And I think, you know, that I really enjoy that. And so that's kind of why I'm doing those. And then the next one that I have coming out is called the miraculous Ruby McKee. And that one is, um, got a little bit more. I love that title. And, um, right. Yeah. I love that title. I, it, I made it up and I don't, really <laughs> it. um, and I like it. So I, I'm not good with titles. So like every so often they'll keep one of mine and I'm like, Oh, every so often I have a good one, but I, probably like, I'm probably responsible for like four of my titles out of a hundred and something. Um, <laughs> So, um, so yeah, and that's been fun because it has, like I said, a little bit of a mystery in it and that, um, is different for me too. So I like, um, yeah, I like getting to do different things. That's nice. Um, so for the quilting circle, quilting is like a big element in it, but I mean, I, as a knitter myself, I know knitting's a big passion for you. What made you want to do quilting? Like what, what was the drive for that? 
Um, you know, I thought I tried to make it knitting because <laughs> I, like it. I hate sewing. I hate it. Right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and um, so I was like, man, I wish there was a way to make this knitting. But the way that I wanted to use history, quilting just made the most sense. And I started reading a lot about memory quilts and about using fabric with significance and and all of that. And because I do love creativity in all forms, I was like, I do, I do love this as an idea. And I did buy a bunch of quilting books and supplies. And then I went to Buns and Roses, which is a charity event that they have in Texas every year in 2019. And I was just kind of thinking of this book and I knew that I was going to do quilting. And I ended up sitting at the table next to the woman who makes the quilts for the event. She makes these amazing quilts. So I sat with her and I had her show me pictures and I talked to her a little bit about quilting and I thought maybe I would quilt something and then I didn't because I hate <laughs> quilting. Yeah, <laughs> it's quilting. But leave that. What I love and what I think is kind of universal to the idea is, and I'd read an article that I think was in the New York Times about women and crafting and women's circles mm-hmm. and the way that women throughout history have kind of come together and sewn or knitted or baked and shared wisdom and shared mm-hmm. stories. And, and I loved that idea so much. And I thought, you know, that's what I love about knitting. I love when I can get together with my friends and sit and talk and knit and, and you're making something while you're sitting together. And there's just mm-hmm. something I love about that. So, um, that is kind of where the two meet. Um, mm-hmm. and that is kind of, and yeah, quilting really was just a necessity of what I wanted to do with the, with the story. But, um, but I do love it. I'm like, now I'm all fascinated by it. I have a stack of quilting books, but I'm like, I'll probably never do it. <laughs> yeah, there's something <laughs> too precise and I'm just not a person of precision. There was, there's something about quilts that like with history mm-hmm. just works so there's, well. Yeah. I mean, you hear stories of quilts being passed down through generations or pieces of shirts and blankets being added to the quilt. Like it just, it was perfect. And I I love that because, you know, like I said, I do absolutely love history. So anytime you have an object that kind of contains history like that, I really Mm. love it. Like I'd be a great candidate for quilting if I had even an ounce of perfectionism in me and I just don't. I'm like, ah, whatever. It's good enough. And that's what I love about knitting. I only knit for right. myself. And I'm like, can I live with that imperfection? Yes, yes. I can. <laughs> yes, I can. I will not unpick that row. Not doing it. My, so I, I feel like we need a Harlequin Presents with a Heroine by Maisie Yates that's like a history professor or a history yeah. podcaster yes. or yes. whatever. Yes. I, I, will, I'm gonna, I will do it. Because like I said, I respond <laughs> to prompts. I take care. Yes. <laughs> Like I did do a heroine who she was inspired by someone I saw in Great British Bake Off. And it was my hundredth book for Harlequin. Um, And she knitted and baked and had a ton of animals. And I, cause I just thought it would be the funniest thing to take kind of one of my small town type of heroines and throw her out of Presents Hero. Because how funny would that be? And it was very funny. I was like, (laughs) a cat and ferrets into the palace. And I was like, he's just like... I don't understand. Um, nothing I love more than confounding a presents hero. Entire world, which is what I think the heroine should exist for. So, yeah, right? I'm, all, I'm all for that. I love, I love a bookish heroine. Mm-hmm. So, three quotes that we loved from the book. I felt like the further the book went, we got into it. 
you kind of gave Easter eggs with quotes from each heroine that I was like, this nails her specifically. And like the first time I caught it, I was like, okay. And then the next time I caught it, I was like, this is a thing. And then the third time it happened, I was like, okay, this is, I don't even know if she knew this is what she was doing, but that's how it felt. So with Hannah, we get, I don't think that you could be exceptional and ordinary at the same time, which for readers, once you get to know Hannah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Lark, you can't rearrange life. You can't, you don't get a do over. And with Avery, it was, I would like not to be broken forever. I would like for that to not be the end of who I am. I want to believe that there's something after broken. I need to believe it. So what was it that you were hoping readers, like with readers would resonate from the Ashwood sisters? Mm -hmm. I think it is that you are not defined by what happened to you, but by what you choose to become. And so much about how, is when we can share with each other and be there for each other that we can begin healing because they all had secrets and that's echoed throughout history, which is what I wanted to do with their ancestors to kind of show that it's like when you break that cycle of shame, really, that that's when you can begin to heal and you help other people heal as well. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, that was really what I wanted um, to get out of that because that's a core truth, you know, I hope in my romances as well is that, It's like people are not irretrievably broken and everybody is valuable and worthy of love. And then that's, you know, another thing that I think is, you know, maybe relevant to the romance slash women's fiction aspect is that we see even more strongly that not only is there some romantic love in that, but that it's the love of your family, that you're not rejected when you share all of who you are, ideally. Obviously, we don't all have perfect you know, family relationships, but that that is the ideal outcome is that like they were able to trust their families with those parts of themselves that maybe they thought were, um, were bad or wrong or damaged and that they were not, they were accepted. And that is actually truly how you can come to be who you are is when you're no longer hiding those things, but you're kind of out and open and in the truth of who you are and that you get to decide what that is, not the person who, like not the bad thing that happened to you, not the person who did a terrible thing to you, but that like you get to decide that. And um, so for me, that's kind of one of the overall themes of the book is that overcoming of that. Yeah. With you, like you were the first author, like as I got into romance and I started learning different things to look for, I started learning about like the internal struggle, like the lies this character tells them, tells themselves about themselves because of stuff that's happened. And it was, it was with you is with the gold Valley books that I was the, that was the first time that I had really like paid attention to that. And I was like, Oh, this is what they're talking about. I was like, she freaking nails it. So reading this book, I'm like, she's perfect for these women's fiction books because like it's, that's exactly what you're getting. And you're like, the romance is there, but it really is like seeing that growth from like all these lies these women have told. I mean, especially Avery. Oh my God. Like (laughs) Avery was the hardest to read, but it just, you, it was, I was like, Maisie Ace was made to do this. She was made to write this story. And all of that just came full circle. I was like, she has always nailed this and now she's writing these books and it's Mm -hmm. like perfect. It's like spot on. So we loved it. Yes. We can't wait for more women's fiction. Yes. (laughs) I will be be doing. So that's the, like I'm, and that's what I, and I always tell people, I'm like, I'm still writing romance. Like nothing changed. I feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes people kind of move away 
from romance as they do women's fiction. And that's not, you know, my intent and that's not my um, reason for doing it. It's just that, you know, I had these stories that I've been wanting to write for a long time and um, it's, it's the only place for them. So it's like, um, I'm really, really thrilled to get to do it and to kind of be, because as a reader, like, um, kind of secrets and mysteries and kind of that kind of fiction is a foundation too. So getting to incorporate that a little bit more along with kind of my history geek stuff is like very, it's very rewarding. So I have a little more of that in, um, because the miraculous Ruby McKee is about a girl. She's young. She's, um, 22, I think in the beginning of the book, she was found on a covered bridge abandoned when she was a baby and was kind of like, this big news story, like in Oregon and in her town. And like, now she's come back after going to college and she's kind of curious about where she comes from and her sister from her, um, the family that adopted her is working for the newspaper and they're like interviewing people to find out more about her and like how she came to be. And there's this whole idea because they found her after something really terrible happened in town that she's a miracle. And so she's kind of spent all of her life being, she's the miraculous Ruby McKee. Like everybody knows her. They all love her. It's a small town. She's very special to them. Mm -hmm. She's like this emblem of healing. And what that means when you feel obligated to be that person all the time and, and does she get to make mistakes and does she get to be a human and not just Mm -hmm. like this and what that means. And so, um, that was a really, really, I, I, I love that book. I'm really excited for it to come out. And it was again, kind of a whole different thing. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited for that. I'm very excited. Yay. (laughs) Are you ready for fill in the sentence and rapid fire? Yes. All right. My most comfortable attire is. Oh, I'm, I'm what the kids call a chewy. I think I feel like that's what Gen Z calls millennials. Um, so it is like black leggings with pockets and like just a t-shirt <laughs> or, or a yes. sweater. I'm always cold. Um, yes. no, I'm a full on Disney adult, so I think I'm chuggy. <laughs> One of the show's movies on my Netflix watch list is. I'm like, if it's, I'm, I'm hmm, Netflix. Okay. Um, that would have to be, well, I'm watching like a Harlan Coben. I love the Harlan Coben miniseries on Netflix and I looked them up recently and saw that there were two I hadn't seen. And then I started them and realized the first one at least is Polish. So I'm currently watching it. And that is what I am watching. I haven't been watching a lot of TV because, but I fell hard into the like Disney plus. Mm, okay 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 i finished falcon and the winter soldier so i'm waiting for loki because i was like at this point i will watch whatever disney plus tells me to (laughs) i don't even know that i liked falcon and the winter soldier (laughs) but i watched it i will watch (laughs) it too needed five less villains and a way more streamlined story i don't even care but anyway yeah so that's what i'm watching right now deeply obscure (laughs) something i like with an arm's reach while writing is coffee the most used app on my phone is... Oh, iMessage. I am always chatting. <laughs> a romance author I would love to meet is... Okay, I had to think about this because I have met so many of my favorites. That's one of the great okay. perks of being a romance writer, but I have not met Julia Quinn. And I do love the Bridgertons um, so much and absolutely love the show too. And so I would love to meet Julia Quinn. and just fangirl, but that's what I do. I embarrass myself when I meet <laughs> I think I scared Julianne Long. <laughs> Rapid fire. First question. 
Last summer on your blog, you did an amazing post about buying an Erin Condren planner and how it was working out for you. Are you still using it? Yes, I am using it. I am not an artsy planner person. It is not like regimented or organized or anything like that, but I do like my um, my word goals and just my general schedule and like a list of things I need to do. And then sometimes I write why I didn't get things done or like why something worked today and just like leave a note for myself. And um, so that's what I use to kind of keep everything organized. Okay. What's one new recipe you've tried so far in 2021, because we know you like to cook, that you think listeners should give a try? So I think my favorite one, because I'm just trying to think, I love to bake. Um, And so there's a cinnamon roll. So Sally's Baking Addiction is my favorite baking um, thing. And she's got fantastic bread recipes and I love her cinnamon rolls. And I just okay. finally bought bread flour. Cause I'm always like, it's all purpose and it's fine. And on mother's day, I made the absolute best cinnamon rolls using her recipe on her uh, blog with bread flour. And it was like, it was so amazing. So everybody should try that. Everybody should give, uh, a little, a little yeasted bread a try. It's not that scary, <laughs> not that hard. Anybody can do it. It's just um, kind of learning how. And because I used to think that I wasn't very good at it. And then my pandemic gift to myself was to learn how to bake amazing bread. And, um, but yeah, my favorite has been the cinnamon rolls. This or that, prince or a cowboy? A cowboy. It fits in with my lifestyle a little more. Favorite trope to read? Um... Probably friends to lovers. Friends to lovers. Yeah. I love that one. This or that again, insta love or slow burn? Slow burn. I like the payoff of the slow burn because if I had to choose another trope because I'm terrible and I don't like to decide, it would be um, the best friend's um, little sister. And I love the Oh, I love that one. That. Love so it. Friends to lovers <laughs> and friends little sister, but it has to be a slow burn. I get so mad when um there's been like a build up to like friends to lovers and then you get in their story and find out they're already into each other like they both are yeah. and i'm like i feel robbed i wanted like <laughs> a long i wanted a torturous build so uh, yeah slow burn for me <laughs> 15 years from now you're writing your memoir what's the title oh gosh um probably walks too fast talks too loud <laughs> i figured you were going to say that yeah. i love it <laughs> Ebook, audiobook, print copy. What is your preferred reading method? Print copy. I will do anything for convenience. And like if something is an ebook and that's all it's in and I want to read it, I'll get the ebook. But um, I, I do prefer having a print copy. I feel like it sticks in my head better. Uh, okay. So that's my preference. What is the last book that you read? Okay. So the last book I actually finished was um, Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Um, and I loved it. It's not my usual read though. I always read romance. So now I'm going to say the last couple romances cause I feel okay. like a traitor, but it wasn't a romance. Um, so the a romance I'm reading right now is Archang- Archangel's Blood by Nalini Singh. Um, and I love okay. Nalini. I'm a huge fan of hers, um, and her Psy Changeling series, but I've never read the Angel series. And so we're reading it for the romance book club that Megan and I run. And Megan's a huge fan of this series. And, um, so I'm really loving it. I'm just a little bit into it. And then I also recently read, um, small town, big magic, which is not out yet, but it is part of a new, um, series that Megan Crane and Nicole Helm are writing together as Hazel Beck. 
and it's okay. coming out with Graydon House in 2022, and it is a fantastic and magical witch book, and I love it. Yes, we need more witch books. <laughs> I love this book. It is such a fantastic romance, and it's kind of like if Leslie Nope was a witch and owned a small town bookstore and had to save the world. And I just absolutely, oh gosh, gosh, I loved it so much. I I will be talking about this for the next year and a half. It's such a phenomenal, um, such a phenomenal book. So lastly, what advice would author Maisie Yates now give to herself back in 2009, right before she sold her first book? Um, Write the next book. Just keep writing the next book. That's... um, that's the best advice I can give to anyone. Like keep the, I love that. Keep I'm writing that down and write the next book. Um, because I think the more, the more that you focus on the big picture rather than getting so hung up on one book or one moment, one writing day, the easier it all is, you know, you just kind of go today. I don't feel like doing it, but tomorrow I would like to have made progress on this book. So I'm going to do it today, even if it's a hundred words. And, you know, or like if, and if you've written a couple of books by the time your book comes out, that maybe doesn't sell as well as you want it to, the disappointment isn't as sharp. And it's the same Mm -hmm. with if you're waiting on a response um, and something gets rejected, like you, um, it doesn't hurt as bad if you've got distance between you and that other book um, because you've written more books. And I think it, um, it just helps a lot. And it helps certainly with my own kind of enthusiasm, like, okay, well on to the next thing. Yeah. So where can everyone follow you online? Um, oh, I am on Instagram, um, as Macy Yates and I am on, um, Facebook as Macy Yates and I have Pinterest and Spotify. And I think that's all that I do. Awesome. So like (laughs) primarily Facebook and Instagram, Instagram is probably my favorite and I do stories there and things like that. But like my longer live videos and things are on my Facebook. So I kind of use those in pretty equal measure. Okay. If anybody follows me on Spotify or Pinterest, which like you're welcome to, but like that's mostly, you're probably going to be bored of my kitchen pictures. Like literally I I use those kind of for me, but they're there and they're open. So like, they're not like, (sighs) I love kitchen pictures. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, you know, I used to pin a lot more like the actual book I was working on. And then last year we were like remodeling our house. And so it entirely became my recipe and house picture place. So I'm like, well, if anybody wants a look into my brain. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Well, all of your information will be listed down in the show notes. Listeners, please go keep up with Maisie fucking Yates. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time and for chatting with us today. And Sarah and I will chat with you guys in our next episode.